This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Drilled to center field and deep. Back on it is Eaton. To the track. To the wall. It's gone! Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center. And he gives the Rays a 6-4 lead here in the ninth. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning. Welcome to our show. Today on the program on this day before the trading deadline, we'll review the three trades the Rays have made with the media that covered Dan Jennings, Lucas Duda, and Steve Ciszek. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times will join us from New York to discuss the Rays' road troubles against the Yankees, plus Brad Miller and a special guest, too. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. Neil Solon's with you on this Sunday, day before the trading deadline, and we do have a special guest on this Sunday joining us after what's maybe the busiest week in terms of additions in Rays history is the Senior Vice President and General Manager Eric Neander. Eric, thanks very much for joining us. I know you still have a lot to do over the next uh, 24 or so hours. Neil, how are you? Thanks for having me. Tell me uh, what the the level of uh, conversation is at this point with 24 hours to go, and uh, how active you expect to be after the week you've had? Yeah, I think uh, a few things to uh, to throw out there. One, we're we're happy with the additions we've made uh, over the course of this season. You know, going back to, to Echeverria on, uh, we think we've we've done some things that have really helped strengthen our club. This is a group we believe in, and with you know a little over what now 28 hours to go into the deadline. Um, you know, we, we plan to, to make the most of it and see if there's additional ways to improve our organization as we go forward. This is this is different from what you guys have done in the past, Eric. Why has this been the year where you've been as aggressive as you have, to give our fans a, an, an understanding? I think any time we've been in this position, we've attempted to be aggressive. Uh, but not always does it line up and you get what you want. But uh, this year, for I think a variety of reasons, uh, we were able to find deals that we thought helped our club at, at prices that made sense. So, um, you know, anytime we've been competitive, we've always looked at our club this year. You know, we've, we've been able to make some transactions and, and get them to the finish line, uh, probably more so than years past. But, uh, you know, this is a group that we believe in. This is a group that this past winter when we won 60-some games, you know, we, I think at the time, you know, stubbornly believed in this group and that we could, you know, tweak its way to, you know, 20, 25 more wins potentially if things go well. So uh, this is a group we believe in, you know, and as insane as that might have seemed over the winter, I think it's a lot more, you know, near to reality now. Uh, And, you know, we want to play that out and and see what we can do to to help this group further. I want to touch on the three additions you made, but since you made that last point, as you know, uh, fans live and die with every win and loss. And with three straight losses in New York and eight out of ten, the fan base is, is wondering if the Rays may reverse course. It sounds like you're not even leaning. You're not going to go in the other direction. You're still looking to add if you can. Yeah, I think to some extent, uh, 
you know, we're, we're being real about things. You know, we ride some of the emotional roller coaster that, uh, that I think our fans go through as well, but it's, it's our job to assess the, the talent level of our club and what we expect moving forward. And you know, through the course of the season, good clubs, bad clubs, you know, bad clubs go on good runs, good clubs go on bad runs. It's, it's just part of what it is. So uh, the reality is that, it, you know, the last 10 days or so have had a, a negative effect on us in the standings. But with respect to the belief that we have in this team, um, you know, that, that's something that's remained strong. And like I said, want to, take advantage of the time that's left to, to see what we can do. But, uh, you know, we hope we're competitive on the field today, get a W, and uh, we find some ways to help this team further if they're out there. Let's touch on the three ways you tried to help them this week, uh, beginning with Dan Jennings. How important was the control you have over the next couple of years in acquiring a left-hander in your bullpen? It's a big part of it. We gave up a piece that, that we value. It was a former first-round pick and, and Casey, and uh, to get somebody that we felt – fit our team very well this year that has some track record at the major league level of success that's posted up that's carried workload all that um you know we felt it was a big boost to our team this year and that obviously was a priority but to to access someone like that that we think can help us this year you know is big to do it with somebody that we think can potentially help us as we move forward uh also big and um anytime we're able to you know to, to not fully go in on expiring pieces in a given year i think the better and uh, certainly carries value for us. And then the second and third piece, obviously Lucas Duda has paid off the last two days. I know you didn't intend to start him immediately at first base, but the Lomo injury precipitated that. How pleased are you with already the, the production you've gotten in two days from him and the way he's handled himself? We'll take it. If he could uh, <laughs> pull that every game from here out, we'll be in a really good position. So, uh, yeah, you like this is a, a, a good bat, a very good bat, um, that uh, we felt like we could we could accommodate, you know, the way that, that Dickey's moving around and, you know, the confidence we have in him to be able to kick out to left field gives us some flexibility. And, um, you know, Lucas just in a few days in New York has fit in really well, and we're excited about the extra uh, thunder that he will bring to our lineup. And the depth? I mean, right now to lengthen that lineup, I know if you get him and Lomo, he probably would look a lot stronger against right-handed pitching. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, our offense – you know, has has done a really nice job to date, but uh, we felt that this was an opportunity to get a bat that we like. And when you're trying to get better, you you welcome the opportunity to you know to strengthen your strengths. And you know, there's still other areas that we you know are are continuing to keep an eye on. But the opportunity to get them at the price we did, we felt like it was the right time to to try to add to our to our offense and our position player group. And I guess a trading deadline wouldn't be complete or a trading period wouldn't be complete without a deal with Seattle. Give us an idea as to what led to Steve Ciszek and the decision to move Erasmo. Yeah, naturally uh, with Seattle. But we, uh, we, uh, you know, with, with where we were, uh, we've, we've developed some confidence for uh, some of our internal options, you know, for the rotation. And uh, that, that made things a little bit easier. You know, Erasmo has been a really, really valuable piece for us and, um, you know, that's that's not lost in any of this, but, you know, Steve's somebody that has recent high leverage closing experience. Um, you know, he served as their closer, you know, last year and had a significant surgery this winter, but uh, we've, we followed him closely and he came back and he's continuing to, I think, build up and to, to regain his form. And uh, I think he's just hitting his stride right now. And he looked really good yesterday in New York. And I think for us, it was just the opportunity to get someone that's been a, you know, a proven successful 
single inning guy um, that has that has handled leverage, has handled closing situations, um, you know, has handled those pressures was something that just given the collection of our pitching as a whole uh, that we prioritized um, as something we needed to get as we move forward here. Eric, last thing from me, uh, I'm not a betting man. I Probably you are not as well, but if you're to handicap it, how likely is it you think you make some sort of move before tomorrow's deadline, an additional one, that is? I don't know. Like, we, we're we really happy with our group. You know, this is a group that we think has, you know, a lot of potential to win more games, a lot more games as we move forward. And, you know, it's been a bit of a tough stretch for us, obviously, here, and some things haven't gone our way, but... Uh, we're we're pleased with the additions we're made we've made we've pleased with the guys that have been here all year how they've been playing so you know we we believe in this team you know how to handicap anything the next 28 hours who knows but uh, we believe that if things play out and, and this is a group that we have as August 1st hits and and we go forward that we should very much be in competition for a playoff spot the rest of the year and um, I think these guys have the ability to get in so we'll see what happens but uh, can't can't i think state enough how much we believe in the group we have currently eric thanks for joining us live again appreciate especially under the circumstances and uh, good luck the next 28 hours thanks very much neil appreciate it that's eric neanders senior vice president and general manager of the rays on the deadline joining us live in this week in rays baseball right now from the rumfish grill over at the guy rv outpost of trade winds island resorts on st pete beach uh let's go live now to new york where mark topkin of the tampa bay times has been covering the deadline and all the deals that have been made mark thanks very much for joining us on this uh day before the deadline i don't know how much you got to hear of eric uh but what did you think and and any of your thoughts going forward the next 28 hours what do you expect yeah neil i thought you asked some excellent questions i learned much more from your questions than eric's answers i think that's pretty safe to say (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's interesting. I mean, I, 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 you know, I mean, that's kind of what I thought he would say is that they're happy with the moves they've made to this point. I, I've heard, you know, from a number of people, they're still being aggressive, looking to, you know, explore some other possible moves, maybe another bullpen arm, maybe, you know, find some kind of right-handed bat to help them against left-handed pitching. I mean, I mean, there's not a lot of positions where you could see a logical upgrade or a reasonable upgrade, but I think they're exploring those two areas specifically i i don't think they're going to flip around and start trading guys if they lose today which i know is one one question i've been getting from some people uh, through social media you know i think they're pleased with the work they've done i think there probably is an acclimation period even though you know i know asking that question here everyone's saying oh it's just baseball you just you know show up and play and you know cash and hickey say they just you know they know how to use these guys and but you know there is a little bit of a, a getting to know you and figuring out how best to use you process, and it may take a couple of days to shake out. I mean, obviously they've, it's unfortunate for the Rays that they've lost these three games here and fallen back a little bit in the standings. But mm-hmm. you know, I think Neander said it several times in that interview. You know, they still have a strong belief in this team, and that's why they're looking still to further add and not take a step back or flip it around. No doubt. Um, you know, the one thing that you've mentioned a couple times this week, and Eric's not going to speak specifically as to players, but do you think they move one of their middle infielders uh, to try and bolster either the pen or get the hitter they want? Because they do have a little bit of a glut, assuming everything is okay with Daniel Robertson after getting hit on the hand yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one possibility. I think it's going to be a very difficult situation for Kevin Cash going forward over these next two months to get uh, playing time to keep both Tim Beckham and Brad Miller happy. Now, not that keeping them happy is, is a prerequisite for being the manager or for winning games or anything like that, but, you know, there is a little bit of an overlap in terms of that's the only spot those two guys can play. Yeah, I think everyone who watches the team knows they're a better team when Echeverria is at shortstop, so just to give Beckham some days at shortstop out of kind of, you know, charity to keep him playing doesn't make sense. I mean, Echeverria needs a day off probably once a week, but, 
Yeah, it's a little tricky, and, and you know, uh, yeah, we're talking about getting a right-handed bat. So if they trade Beckham, you know, there's one of the right-handed bats who's done pretty well offensively against left-handed pitchers. So it's a little bit of a, a tough fit, a little bit of a quandary as to how they would make this work if they can pull it off. But I, I do think that's something they are exploring and, and just talking to some scouts from you know, other teams and things like that. I think that's among the possibilities. And I'm sure that there's certainly, it's obviously doesn't impact the deadline, but there had to be a mild bit of concern yesterday that, for at least from the fans that I had heard, Kevin Kiermaier wasn't in the lineup yesterday in Port Charlotte. You just talked to Kevin Cash about it. It doesn't seem it's that serious with him coming off the DL on August 8th, correct? No, it doesn't. I mean, it, they said it was just back tightness. It wasn't anything to do with the hip, uh, is what we were told. It was just back tightness. You know, part of that, that was kind of one of the things they were wrestling with was, you know, let him start the rehab and play out a little bit longer than a typical rehab because he's itching to go and he feels good versus keep him just doing drills and wait. So they kind of will split the difference now. He'll take a couple days off, cash it maybe two days. So I'm assuming that means today and tomorrow. So maybe you'll see him back out there on Tuesday. But, you know, nobody's seen overly concerned. On the other hand, you got a guy who's been, you know, dealing with a hip issue and now he has a back tightness you know you do it's a fair question to wonder if it's related but you know cash said they've been assured it's nothing serious and and uh you know as we it did, look it did stop the it did stop the collision of kiermeyer and tebow on the field yeah. together though that was the big disappointment for a lot of people trying to get those two guys in one photo frame i know i know maybe they'll get it over the next day or two who knows whether he'll play in either of the other games against uh, st Lucie. you had a chance to talk to Stu sternberg too and look he's had been uh, you know the owner of the the primary owner of the team for over a decade now um this is the first time they've really gone after it at the deadline i know eric said they looked into things and here it lined up for the first time but i mean they they have really made a a, a change from from the past would you say is that fair yeah, and I don't know that it's a, a change in philosophy as much as it was just reactive to this year's situation. And, and, you know, I think Eric expressed some of that in your your fine interview with him where he said that, you know, they've had this belief maybe stubbornly since the offseason that this was a better team. And, you know, I think from what Stu Sternberg said, you know, and I asked him directly, what, what led you guys to do this? He said the impetus was, you know, the way this team has come together and played and, you know, they wanted to provide whatever support they could. So I think there is a strong belief in the team. And, Look, look, Neil. I mean, we're we're around it every day, and and you know, I know there's you get some questions sometimes through Twitter and things of people saying, are they even trying to win? No, they are <laughs> definitely trying to win. And you know, this group, you know, under uh, Matt Silverman being in charge, Eric Nander being the GM, Heim Bloom, senior vice president. You know, in their roles, this team hasn't won. You know, ever since Madden and Friedman left, you know, this team hasn't been in the playoffs. That's a fact. Now, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances to that, but. You know, they want to get back to that and, and, you know, on their watch. And and that's not why they're doing this. But, you know, this is a game that you're driven by success. And these guys want to win and they're trying to do what they can. There's some realistic limitations. I mean, that's why you haven't seen them trade Brent Honeywell or Willie Adamas or any of these, you know, the elite level or Jake Bowers. You know, probably the elite level guys are probably not going to go anywhere. I'd be surprised if they did, especially, you know, because they have fallen back a little. But. They are trying within, you know, the framework of being responsible. That was the word Eric Neander used a couple weeks ago when we first talked about their approach to the trade deadline. I think they've done, you know, what they can to make better, uh, make the team better. No doubt. You know, today is Hall of Fame Day in Cooperstown, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about, you know, how you have come across and any stories you may have, be it the inductees on the player side, uh, Jeff Bagwell, Pudge Rodriguez, Tim Raines, the executives, Bud Selig, John Sherholtz, or even Claire Smith, who's, uh, you know, the Sphinx Award winner or Bill King, who's going in as the Frick Award winner this year? Yeah, I mean, I've obviously crossed paths with, with all, the, all those people. And uh, Claire Smith, obviously, it's a tremendous award. And, you know, being the first woman to go in and that she was one of the first African-American beat writers. There were so many things that Claire 
I did, and she gave a great speech yesterday. If you haven't seen it, mm-hmm. I know it's, it's all over the Internet. You can find it. Uh, as far as the players, you know, cross paths with all those guys. I mean, Tim Raines being a Florida guy, uh, talked to him a couple times. Uh, he was at the Ted Williams uh, Hall of Fame uh, induction last year. That was kind of a neat experience. Um, Jeff Bagwell have covered him being in the postseason. So uh, I've run across those guys. To me, though, and Bud Selig, you know, <laughs> we always had an interesting <laughs> relationship because I almost – made me almost always feel like he hated to see me because he knew what I was going to ask him and it had something to do with either expansion or are the Rays going to get a facility or are they going to get a new stadium you know we go back a long way before the mm-hmm. Rays even existed of dealing with Bud Selig so I, I never felt close to him because like I said he always gave off that vibe but obviously you know found time and talked to him and I, I visited with him in his office one year in Milwaukee so that, that was an interesting experience and then to me John Sherhulse is just one of the brilliant minds in baseball and, and always affable always sharp and a, a guy that you know I have run into and always remembers your name and finds time to talk to you and you know just as sharp when he was building the Kansas City Royals way back in the day and he helped convert Stan Borowski from pitcher to catcher uh, to uh, the incredible accomplishments he's had as a general manager as a team president as one of the leading executives in Major League Baseball in fact just when they pulled off their deal for their new stadium uh, there was a general manager uh, winter meetings I saw him at and, and I said, how did you pull this off? And no one knew about it. And he just laughed. And he said, I got you guys again, didn't I? And he just, you know, almost that cat and mouse game with the media that he always enjoyed as well. So it, it's a very interesting class. And uh, I've covered, been lucky enough, fortunate enough to cover a couple of Hall of Fame inductions, Wade Boggs's and Tony LaRusso's. And it's, uh, if anyone ever has the chance to go, yes, it's crowded and it can be a little expensive and you've got to drive a long way. But it is a tremendous experience and a tremendous weekend. Mark, great stuff. Uh, get less than a minute. Your expectation, yes or no, do the Rays make another deal before tomorrow's deadline? I think they will make another deal before tomorrow's deadline, and I don't think you're going to be going. But the bigger question, Neil, if I have 10 seconds left, are you riding the shark today at the trade winds? Uh, I'm not because we're indoors because of the weather. Ah, oh, man, I wanted the video. Yeah, I know. Maybe another time. We're here a couple more. Don't worry about it, Mark. That's Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. We certainly appreciate him joining us on all his terrific coverage. You can catch him on Twitter at TBTime underscore Rays or, again, go to the Tampa Bay Times website and check out what he's been doing during the deadline. When we return, we'll further examine the players the Rays acquired with the media members who cover them. We continue on this week in Rays Baseball, again at the Rumfish Grill, right after this on the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on this week in Rays Baseball. Rays, of course, making three trades this week. The first of them involved left-hander Dan Jennings from the Chicago White Sox. And joining us to talk about it, a guy who covers the White Sox for MLB.com, Scott Merkin. Scott, thanks very much for being with us. Sure, no problem. The White Sox obviously have been very active over the last, I would say, year in terms of reshaping their entire roster. Were you at all surprised that Jennings was part of it? Was because he still has a couple of years left uh, in terms of control? No, I think it was anything that could bring back, you know, value. And they and they brought back uh, Casey Gillespie, and the process was sort of, uh, for lack of a better phrase, up for grabs. You know, they had just moved Anthony Swarzak to Milwaukee the day before, and. The relief market is uh, pretty robust out there, so I had a feeling he was going to go, too. Give me a little bit of a, a feel for, for Dan. Obviously, his numbers are very, very good. You know, he's, he probably doesn't get attention because of maybe the team he plays for and the fact that he's not in a closers role. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Dan, aside from his stuff and everything else, is just that he's very durable. You know, he, he's willing to take the ball pretty much every day, and with the injuries they've had to the bullpen this year, and the trades the Sox eventually made in the bullpen, he, he was almost needed every day for a while there. So I think, you know, the, the, the best thing about Dan is that he's willing to go out there, kind of go after it, and you can use him in a bunch of different roles. I, I don't know if the Rays would end up using him as a closer, but you could use him from, he's been used as 
you know, a left-handed specialist to get one or two batters. He's been used late in the game to set up wins or keep games close, and he's been used for multiple innings. So I think is is the, all the different things that he brings to the bullpen is the biggest asset for Dan Jennings. And I would think with Alex Colomay certainly cemented as the race closer, he'll probably fill all the roles that you mentioned um, in terms of specialist or multiple or, or, uh, or setup, depending on the situation and the teams they're facing. He also has moved from club to club in terms of trades. He came over from the Marlins. So do you think it'll be much of an adjustment for him to get acclimated to a new team? No, I think the biggest adjustment, you know, we were talking the other day, actually the day, basically the day before that he was traded, I guess the day that was agreed upon that night. And his wife, they're expecting their second child, uh, I think, in about two or three months. So I think that's the biggest adjustment mm-hmm. for him is just kind of family thing, you know, to get everything settled and figure out when she can and can travel and that kind of and that sort of situation. But I don't think it'll be adjustment for her. I, I think with the situation the Sox were in, any sort of veteran, even with a little bit of control like Jennings had, you know, arbitration-wise, was pretty much making himself ready that there was a chance he was going to be moved. So I think the adjustment will be fine for him. I know you know he's a Midwest guy, but he has some experience in Florida before, so I don't think it'll be a problem. And I would expect, too, that he's probably exciting to, to go to a team that is still competing for a playoff spot at this point. Sure. I, you know, the, uh, Jake Petrisco, who now, believe it or not, is the lone healthy arm from the start of the season in the White Sox bullpen that is still pitching in the White Sox bullpen, wow. you know, with, with trades and then Nate Jones and Zach Putman had uh, season-ending surgeries. You know, he said it, it's a bittersweet situation because you're sad to see your teammates and friends go but you know they're in a better situation because they you know all these guys are everyone that's been traded has gone to a team that's in contention so it, you know it works for them whether it's Jose Quintana going to the Cubs or David Robertson Tommy Canely and Todd Frazier going to the Yankees or Jennings to the Rays it, it, it's a sad situation seeing guys go from the Sox but it's part of what their goal is for sustained success and puts these veteran players in position to, to win right now. And I'm kind of curious from a White Sox situation, Scott, who, is, who, who are the pieces that they see as part of the rebuild process that they're going to hold on to going forward in terms of well, any I think, veterans? It's really interesting. I think really there are basically two with maybe a little shade, shades of gray and a couple others. Carlos Rodon, mm-hmm. who missed a good portion of this year with uh, biceps bursitis, the um, former NC State pitcher who was the number three pick for the White Sox in the draft. He's in there, and then Tim Anderson, who just signed a six-year, $25 million deal, agreed upon a six-year, $25 million deal, which can go over 50 with a couple options, the shortstop for the White Sox, who, who albeit has struggled this year. But those are two of the kind of cornerstones on the Major League roster. Jose Abreu not only is having a great season with the bat, but is a valuable mentor in that clubhouse, too. So, you know, he's got a couple years left going year-to-year right now with arbitration. He's in there. And then obviously Al Garcia, before he just went on the disabled list a couple of days ago, was having a breakout season in right field. And, you know, his first all-star appearance this year has been tremendous. So I think he's in the mix. Now in the same sense, I think you know, they're going to have to make a decision on Garcia. He's got two more years of control, whether they want to keep him and pay him or whether they can, you know, again, explore in this offseason or maybe next year some sort of trade for him. You know, they're, they're far from done. I just had a chance to talk to Rick Hahn, the general manager, yesterday, and as much as they've accomplished, they know they're far from done, and they know there are still some, some lumps to be taken, but they like the direction they're going. And, you know, they will evaluate as they go to see which veterans fit. But I think Rodon and Anderson are the two fixtures on the roster right now. Scott, good stuff. We appreciate some perspective, and uh, thanks for joining us on This Week in Race Baseball. Sure, anytime.
That is Scott Merkin, who covers the White Sox for MLB.com. Before we continue, let's pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on this week in Rays Baseball. We get moved inside with the weather to the Rumpfish Grill. And now let's take a look at the addition of Lucas Duda. Joining us right now is longtime broadcaster for the Mets, Gary Cohen, now of SNY. Gary, thanks very much for coming on. Were you uh, at all surprised that Lucas Duda was dealt and to the Rays? Uh, I was not surprised at all that he was traded. Um, I, I, I did not know that the Rays necessarily were going to be his landing spot, but you know this was a year of very high expectations for the Mets, and they clearly mm-hmm. have underperformed. And, and we've known for for several weeks that, especially the the guys with the expiring contracts, were um, liable to be traded on um, mass. And he was just uh, the first piece. So. Um, you know, it's a great opportunity for Lucas to, to be in a spot where he can, he can DH primarily. And, um, you know, he's a he's a solid big league veteran uh, who will give you power from the left side. And um, it, it, it's, a, it, it's a nice change of pace for him after 10 years in one organization. And he's also switching leagues. And you mentioned the DH. How much of an adjustment do you think that'll be for him? Because some guys can compartmentalize going from offense to defense and vice versa. Some guys, when they just have to hit, it can be a little bit of an adjustment for them. To me, with Lucas, the biggest issue is going to be that he is a tireless worker. He's one of those guys who takes 5 million swings a day. And my only concern with him is that as a DH, he might take 10 million swings a day. And uh, he tends to over-worry about things. He's, um, so the, the only thing I would worry about is that the, uh, the the lack of time in the field will give him more time to overthink things, and, and that might um, put an impediment in his way. But the one thing I know about Lucas Duda is he will never not work hard, and he can go on hellacious hot streaks that can carry a team for a couple of weeks. And um, I would I would look for that at some point. And he's always hit, at least his home ballpark has been, you know, at City Field, which is, I would think, traditionally more pitcher-friendly than hitter-friendly. He's going to be playing in at Fenway, in New York, at Toronto, uh, in Baltimore, which are all pretty friendly home-run ballparks, and Tampa Bay is at least neutral. So I would think that would work slightly in his favor, too, correct? I would think, although when, when Lucas hits them, they're, they're, re- they're rarely fence scrapers. Mm-hmm. Um, he's... Uh, the one thing about Lucas is that when he gets too pull happy, he gets into some bad habits, and that's when he'll fall into slumps. When he's using left center field and driving the ball in the gap, um, that's when he's at his best, and um, and then he'll you know learn how to turn on a ball. He has a very um, unique ability to to handle a pitch inside off the plate and keep it fair. Um, he's done that several times in his career, so that affects the way pitchers pitch him, but. You know, there will be times when he'll be uh, lunging at balls out of the strike zone and, and um, he'll, he'll be lost for periods of time. But as far as the size of the ballpark, he's hit more home runs than anybody in the history of City Field. So um, the size of the ballpark really um, has not been a big impediment for him. How about Gary, him fitting into a new clubhouse and a new environment? Again, the Mets is, is really all he's known. Yeah, he's a very quiet guy. Um, he'll fit in anywhere. He's, uh, he's, he's got a little dry sense of humor, but he doesn't talk much. He doesn't like to talk much. He doesn't like to be the center of attention. Um, Lucas is one of those guys who, despite the fact that he's an enormous man, he tends to fade into the background, and, and I think that's what he'd prefer, and I think he'll be just fine. And I would think from that regard, this is actually a good fit because it is a smaller market in terms of the amount of media covering, and you've got guys like Evan Longoria, Kevin Kiermeyer coming off the DL, Logan Morrison, who's very outspoken, um, where he doesn't really have to be in any of those kinds of roles. Yeah, he's not going to be one of those 
uh, leadership type guys. Uh, he's one of those guys who's going to do his job. He will be a, a supportive teammate, but he's not going to be uh, not going to be exhorting the others. He'll he'll kind of keep to himself. He'll um, you know uh, Curtis Granderson in the Mets clubhouse uh, had a project to draw him out. Followed uh, Lucas around with a video camera, and uh, they had an Instagram account called We Follow Lucas Duda. Um, just trying to to bring out whatever personality Lucas has, but um, you know he's uh, he's going to be an easy fit in that clubhouse, I think. And the other thing that I think would be an attraction from a race standpoint would be the fact that he has postseason experience. Um, how much do you think that helps uh, to to have been down the stretch in some important situations, at least from an offensive standpoint? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think certainly uh, being in a pennant race. And, and as he has been for the last couple of years, um, it definitely works in his favor. Um, you know, the biggest thing to me for Lucas this year, he spent some time on the disabled list earlier with a freaky injury on a hyperextended elbow. But, you know, he's had some hip issues that I think are going to follow him later in his career. The biggest thing for him is just to stay healthy down the stretch. And that'll be maybe the one thing about DHing that'll work in his favor that uh, maybe put a little less wear and tear on those hips. That's good stuff from Gary Cohen, Mets voice on SNY. The third and final trade the Rays made this week involves Seattle. The Rays acquired Steve Ciszek from Seattle for a game. Originally, it was with the Mariners and Erasmus Ramirez. Joining me now, one of their TV and radio voices, Aaron Goldsmith. Aaron, did you see this coming at all? That's good to be with you, Neil. I'm really surprised by this deal uh, from the standpoint of just two competitors uh, trading, uh, at least seemingly to me, for some pretty valuable pieces, especially uh, Ciszek for the Mariners. You know, that being said, the Mariners and Steve Ciszek, we've seen his role evolve certainly over the course of his, over in the grand scheme of things, brief stay with the Mariners. Uh, obviously, when he came to Seattle and signed by Jerry Depoto, uh, Steve was the Mariners' closer. Uh, he was eventually uprooted from that position by Edwin Diaz, who's the Mariners' closer still today. But Steve, beginning the season on the disabled list, uh, had a more complicated a labrum surgery in the offseason than anyone originally anticipated. So he, he missed all spring training, missed the start of the season, and uh, to this point had really been a, a fairly viable piece in the Mariners' bullpen, especially right on right with that really good slider of his. Uh, Arasmo Ramirez, we know him about as well as you guys know him mm -hmm. as well. And so I think uh, for Jerry Depoto, I'm imagining that he's seen uh, Arasmo being a more versatile arm than Steve Ciszek is. Uh, Steve kind of has a, a role right on right. He's not a guy who typically works multiple innings, although we have seen him do that before in the past. But I'm, I'm really intrigued by this trade. I'm, I'm interested to see what you have to think about it, too. Well, you know, I think from the Rays' standpoint, they were looking for that right on right. And when you look at the division they play in and you see uh, Josh Donaldson and Bautista with Toronto and Bogarts and Betts, uh, et cetera, with the Red Sox, Trumbo, Adam Jones, Manny Machado with the Orioles. I mean, it's a very right-handed heavy division and i think the feeling was was getting a guy like that versus erasmo who may be more versatile probably is more effective and the fact that he's pitched in the back end of games and really won't be required to close because you have alex colomay yeah i, I think you know it, in that regard i think it does certainly make sense the, you know, the thing I, i'll be interested for you to watch this for c-check during his time the rest of the year with the Rays. he is known so much for his slider it has been such a good pitch for him his mechanics are pretty funky uh, and the slider right on right can be pretty devastating. But that being said, this year, from my eyes, and I've talked to others about this as well around the Mariners, the thing I think that Steve has struggled with the most has been his command. And I don't mean command as in here comes ball four time after time, but more really being able to locate that slider 
off the plate to a right-hander, let's say in an 0-2 count, when you really want that guy to go fishing for it. Um, and you're okay if all of a sudden the count bumps even because you've thrown two sliders away and you're hoping that either he swings and misses a one or rolls one weekly off to the right side. He hasn't been able to have that pinpoint control on a regular basis. We have seen it. There's no doubt about it. We have seen Steve come out of the Mariners' bullpen and have some dominant appearances. But he's also gotten burned more times than he would like this year trying to get the perfect location on that slider. So especially with all those right-handed bats that you just mentioned, I'll be really interested to see from afar if that's something that C-Sheck can continue to improve upon because there's no doubt we have seen it not only in a Mariners uniform but also earlier in his career when he was closing with Miami when he was able to get that really good command with that pitch, which he, that's his bread and butter, there's no question. And I would think that there really won't be a ton of pressure on him because they also did acquire Sergio Romo and they have Brad Boxberger, so they do have multiple options when it comes to that right on right. Yeah, and you know, for the Mariners too, they recently acquired from Miami David Phelps, and we have seen Phelps in a handful of appearances for the Mariners. He has pitched really in the role that Steve Ciszek would normally have pitched in. So when when the Phelps deal was made, and once we saw with our own eyes that he is the, the guy that we thought the Mariners were getting, all of a sudden now you're thinking, well, okay, if he can take over for C-Sheck's role in the Mariners' bullpen and bump C-Sheck down a notch in the pen, well, now, of course, that fortifies an even earlier role because you have a guy with the veteran experience mm-hmm. with C-Sheck. Uh, but I'll tell you, you guys are going to love him as a person. He's a man of, of great faith. Uh, he is uh, about as likable of a human being as you can find. Uh, he is a, a young father with, with two young girls, uh, one he just uh, still somewhat recently had. Uh, he's just a wonderful family man, a terrific competitor. Uh, you'll notice he pulls a, a laminated piece of paper out of his back pocket before every time he pitches. He has his favorite Bible verse on that piece of paper, which he reads before he throws his first pitch in a game each and every time. As a wonderful clubhouse guy. And I wish him nothing but the best. We've really enjoyed having him around in Seattle. You know, I was going to ask you next how he fits in. And it sounds like, you know, he's a guy who will make a fairly seamless transition. And look, he has been moved before. He started his career with the Marlins on this side. Yeah, absolutely. Went on to St. Louis for a short period of time. Came to Seattle, I think, with some some expectations of kind of regaining the luster that he had in Miami. He was the most unconventional closer uh, we've seen in recent years of the majors because he's not a fireballer. Um, he's not somebody who has some just wipe-out uh, curveball at like Pimbrel at 88 miles an hour. Uh, but he was the guy who pitched in very high-leverage situations earlier in his career. The Mariners tried him in that role in Seattle. Uh, it did not work out. And then it's kind of tough for it to hold when you have a young closer in Edwin Diaz who's blowing an 89-mile-an-hour slider and touching 100 and 101. It just it didn't seem like uh, you could keep Diaz out of the closer's role for long. So I, I think... Even had Ciszek been pitching better last season, I think that move probably would have been made either way. Uh, but he's a wonderful person. Uh, Ray fans will like him. You guys on the broadcast crew will really enjoy interacting with him. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how he does. And going from uh, one team in the hunt to another, so good for him. Well, we'll get to see how things work out when you guys come to the ballpark here in August. It should be an interesting I know, few we'll weeks. We'll be seeing him shortly enough. You're absolutely right. That is one Aaron Goldsmith, radio and TV voice of the Seattle Mariners. Now coming up under this week in Rays baseball program, hear from Brad Miller, a guy who started with the Mariners and certainly has had a challenging year. What has he learned this season? Find out after this on the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball. Our feature guest this week is Brad Miller. Brad, thanks very much for joining us. Um, how would you describe this year for you? Uh, it certainly has been a bit different than, than last. Yeah, you know, every year is going to be different, you know, and present its own obstacles but uh you know I've, I've definitely learned a lot you know it's been frustrating at times from the injury standpoint um 
you know, uh, learning my body and learning the first time I've been on the DL, you know, in the big league. So obviously it was, uh, it's been tough, but, uh, you know what, we're in, uh, in a playoff race here. It's all you could ask for. And, and I'm healthy now. So, um, really just, uh, kind of excited to, to finish this year off and see where it goes. And I want to get to that. You know, you mentioned that you're learning about yourself when you were on the DL for the first time. And then the second, what did you learn about that and how did how what was the hardest part of it yeah the hardest part was just you know uh you know fighting obviously um you know wanting to come back as soon as possible and help the team but also realizing that to help the team you have to be ready you know so obviously I pushed it um from the beginning but you know I look back I want to you know that's always going to be my mindset I want to be out there you know I don't want to be hurt so at the end of the day you know I'm not you know, surprised I, I pushed it, but, you know, also, uh, you know, it wasn't a fun experience having to go back on the DL and, you know, basically re, re-injuring and, and creating a new a new problem. Sometimes you can also learn, too, by watching, and I know it's probably hard to be away from your teammates, but is there anything, you know, I've talked with a lot of, I think probably more pitchers than hitters yeah. who talk about this, but being away from the game, they learn things just by being away from it for a little while, too. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing, I think, is, you know, that, that, that hunger and that drive is there because you're not able to do it. You know, it's it's hard watching the games, you know, honestly, um, you know, just because you get out there. So for me, while we were here, you know, I, I just try to be as good of a teammate as I can. You know, you're basically a cheerleader. So um, whatever you can do, this season's so long and it's so monotonous. So whatever you can do to, to help your teammates kind of get through it and, um, you know, maybe give them a little bit of perspective and, and kind of help yourself stay, uh, stay sane, um, you know, is what you got to do. That that said, you know, you mentioned the fact that this team, despite what's been a tough week, is, is right in the thick of the playoff hunt. What has that meant to you, and how different is it now versus, let's say, a year ago or other teams yeah. you've been on that haven't been competing for a spot? Yeah, you know, uh, just from my limited experience, you know, uh, in 2014 in Seattle, same thing. You know, we were right in the thick of it all the way down, and I remember how exciting those games were. And we didn't even, you know, we did. We ended up, you know, being left out by a game, but just the intensity, um, you know, and, and, and winning cures everything. You know, nobody wants to lose. Everybody wants to win. So um, it's definitely something I don't take for granted, you know, being in this position. I look back on, you know, what's happened in the past this year. You know, yeah, it's been frustrating with injuries, and, you know, you're not, you know, not everybody's an all-star this year, but from what I look at it is we got an opportunity here, um, you know, to, to be on a team competing for a playoff spot. And, you know, some people never get that in their career. So just uh, look forward to embracing the opportunity. You um, have had a couple of good moments, too, during this. And I think probably the one that sticks out is the home run you hit off Boston. Mm-hmm. Was that the best moment that you've had in terms of a, as a professional? Or if not, what are some of the moments that do rank up? Um, yeah, that was obviously that, that felt good, you know, being able to to get a big hit in a big situation against a tough pitcher, tough team, you know, interdivision. Um, that was definitely awesome. But I think that's why that's why you have to keep a level head throughout all the adversity because it just takes one swing, you know, or one play. So I was I was I was proud of that moment just because of all the frustrating times. You know, and uh, even that game, you know, I had gotten out all three times prior to that at bat. And, you know, you got to stay in the game and and um, every at bat counts. So uh, that's the biggest thing, just making sure you win. But, you know, yeah, there's been other, you know, hits or stuff like that, you know. um, But uh, that one, obviously, just coming after being off the DL was 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 nice. You mentioned the playoff race that you were in in 2014. Are there certain things that you learned from that that you think will help you and maybe Lomo and some others during this stretch run? I think the thing I've learned is uh, how much fun it is, <laughs> you know, how much fun it is to actually 
not know, you know, being in that race at the end of the year rather than knowing, okay, you know, once our game's over, we're heading home. You know, that's not very fun. Um, so I think uh, I think that is really what I learned is how special it is and then how fleeting it can be because, you know, you're not promised anything. Uh, again, we're chatting with Brad Miller on this week in race baseball. This also happens to be Hall of Fame weekend. Um, have you run across any of the major guys going into the hall, whether it's Tim Raines or Jeff Bagwell or Pudge Rodriguez, and if so, what do you remember about those encounters? I have not uh, ran into any of them, but I know um, you know a guy who, who continues to you know rise up the ballots and is very deserving, Edgar Martinez, was our uh, hitting coach in Seattle, and that guy, is, he's a special person. Um, you know, he, he, he was awesome. He was so positive with me. You know, I'm going through different phases and trying stuff, and he just would, you know, kind of smile and let me do my thing and then go, okay, you know, let's try this. Or, you know, I remember one day he said, hey, Brad, during BP, he's like, hey, Brad, how about first round you just go opposite field? And then you can try to hit the ball in the third deck. Like, I don't care. He's like, but just give me one round, and then you can do whatever you want. So he was great with me. Um, he's a special person, and he, he's really going to make an impact in baseball um, after his playing days as a coach because, um, you know, his, his outlook and his demeanor towards the game. And you grew up near, obviously, one of the greatest Hall of Famers, a guy who was should have been a unanimous but pretty close to it in Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, you know, I always – felt uh, pretty cool you know claiming the same you know town that he uh you know that his family lives in and he raised his kids in and and being around him in seattle i mean it was a dream come true and you know he, he's such a you know a normal cool guy that you know he probably doesn't realize the impact he has you know just from interacting with us but um you know every conversation i've had with him is is you know i hold pretty special because you are a, a fairly – would a junkie be the right word in terms of a baseball gym rat, or how would you describe it? I don't know. I love baseball, though. You know, it's 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 really, you know, um, I don't have many hobbies or anything. You know, I just I just love, love baseball and pretty much everything that goes into it. Hall of Famers that you've encountered beyond Edgar and Junior that stand out? Or yep. Edgar hasn't gotten there, but I think most people believe at some point he will. Yeah, um, my grandfather grew up in uh, – um, Detroit, big Tigers fan, and his favorite player was Al Kaline. And um, I ended up getting a, ordering a jersey. And when we were in Detroit two years ago, um, Lloyd McClendon, our manager, had Tigers ties, so he called him over for me, and I got to chat with him for a little bit and uh, and got a jersey signed by him. And that's one of my prized possessions, just because you know I was my grandpa's favorite player, and uh, I'd met him before way when I was you know younger in down in Lakeland, but. Um, that was pretty cool. Beyond the race, tell me a player that you enjoy watching in the game. Obviously, you're playing, but who you admire and why? Dustin Pedroia. Um, you know, he's a winner, first and foremost. The guy is super focused and tenacious, and, yeah, he's everything. Everything, you know, I think a baseball player should stand for. You know, he's he's a leader. He's a competitor. He's never down and out. You know, he'll always fight back. And, uh, you know, I think it rubs off on his teammates and that organization because, I mean, you know, he, he's he's done a lot of good things in that organization, you know, so uh, I think he's he's one of my one of my guys that, you know, I think there there needs to be a lot more guys like Dustin Pedroia that play like him. Who uh who's got the better beard now? You or him though. It's pretty close. <laughs> no, mine's brutal. My beard's bad. No, he's there's a lot of good beards out there. I'm definitely not uh in that category though. Now, I know you say you don't have many habits or hobbies, mm-hmm. but I think you are a big if I remember right from last year's conversation, a big movie buff and and you watch your fair share of tv are you a game of thrones guy yeah i'm a big tv show guy i can't claim really a movie 
being a movie guy, but I'm definitely a TV show guy. Uh, Game of Thrones is awesome. It's all the talk of the, the clubhouse right now. So, um, yeah, definitely, you know, when I'm away from the field, I'd like to kind of relax and just watch some TV. Your favorite character on Game of Thrones and why? Oh, man, favorite character. Um, this is kind of one off the off the reservation a little bit, but you're on Greyjoy. The guy's crazy. You know, he's intense, and he's definitely, you know, off his rocker a little bit, so he's kind of fun to watch, you know, wreak havoc. And what other shows besides, obviously, Game of Thrones is the talk in the clubhouse, but what else is your uh, is your pleasure when you're away from the field? Um, you know, I like, uh, there's a lot of good ones. You know, Man in the High Castle is awesome. Uh, um Boardwalk Empire is one, you know, on HBO that's that's kind of, you know, I know it's been off off air for a couple of years, but that's one I went back and watched, and I really enjoyed that one. Have you gone back and watched Sopranos, too, since that was... So that's that's going to be on the... I've never done that. That was kind of, you know, I guess I got onto the TV show scene a little late, but that's one I'll have to go back. Just to call myself a TV show guy, i got to watch that. All right. When you do, then then we can talk yeah. a little Sopranos as well. You know, early this year, I, I you, you mentioned you don't have a, a ton of hobbies, but you were a spokesperson for Cut for a Cure mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year, which helped kids with pediatric cancer. What did that mean to you? Yeah, it was fun, you know, just to... to we get so engulfed, you know, with baseball, and, you know, I, I'm definitely guilty of that, you know, getting totally engulfed in, in baseball because, hey, this is what we, you know, want to do, and it's what we care about, and there's a lot of high stakes. But, um, you know, to be able to use our, I guess, you know, status on being in an organization, a professional organization, um, using that for good like that is, is always awesome, you know, and everybody has their own niche and way to contribute to that, um, even if it's just, you know, you know, setting a good example when you wear the uniform. But to be able to do something else outside of baseball is always pretty special. And I know at the same time you want to perform. I'm kind of curious because I've heard a lot of good things from several players this year. What's Chad Mottola been like? Because you told me how good Edgar Martinez has yeah. been, and this is your first year working with Chad yep. on a regular basis. Yeah, he's special. You know, those are two guys, you know, that what separates them, um, you know, is just how they interact with us. Um, you know, I, I told him yesterday, being a hitting coach, we think hitting's hard. I mean, being a hitting coach and dealing with all of us is hard because we're all, you know, mad, obviously. We're all perfectionists. We all want to perform. And, you know, Motor's got to deal with all of our <laughs> attitudes all the time. And he's special, you know. If you want to come into the cage and vent a little bit, hey, they let you do it. If you want, you know, he always has something for you. So, um, you know, my relationship with Motor, you know, sometimes I got to get out of my own way and let him just do his thing. But uh, um, he's special. And he's, uh, you know, like I said, he's going to make a big impact to a lot of guys uh, for a long time. In terms of the impact on the rest of the season, what's your hope going forward? I know, obviously, first and foremost, to get to the playoffs. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, I just think, you know, coming from a personal standpoint and, and then, you know, the other guys too, is we got to embrace this opportunity. You know, embrace the opportunity that we are, you know, in the uh in the race and obviously that comes with expectations and pressure but shoot this is why we play you know this is why we play the game um you know nobody nobody dreams of you know just growing up being a big leaguer and going home every year i know i didn't so um you know you dream about playing those big games and and even watching you know watching guys that you know like brandon guy who got traded watching him in the world series i mean that's living the dream you know so so i think we just need to embrace this opportunity well, good luck down the stretch. We appreciate a few minutes this week on This Week in Race Baseball. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And that is Brad Miller, and we thank him and all our guests for coming on our show, especially Eric Neander and Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times for joining us last moment. I want to thank my producer, Len Martez, Neil Solon, saying this is This Week in Race Baseball. The pregame show is next. This is the Race Baseball Network.